It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Hello and welcome to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast with me, Mandy Bell, Guardian Speed Reporter for MLB.com and Sarah Langs, Researcher and Reporter for MLB.com as well. Sarah, I know we have a lot to get into. We have a lot to recap from the last week and we have a lot to preview of the next week plus, I'm sure, there's going to be so much excitement with postseason and the way that this all came down to the final day. I don't know how that happens. Um, you would think it would be able to be sorted out. And in dramatic fashion, there was so much going on on 162. It was awesome. But also on game 162, the baseball world had just devastating news of hearing of the loss of Tim Wakefield. He had been diagnosed with a very aggressive form of brain cancer. And um, it it's really tough because we, I think I just saw on Twitter, or X I should say, formerly known as Twitter, um, I saw someone posting about how he was just at a charity golf event in August and all these things that just seemed like he was such a quality person. Um, obviously never got the chance to know him personally, um, but you grow up and you're watching Wakefield. You're watching the master of the knuckleball. And I grew up a Yankees fan and I remember hating him because I was like, for some reason, I swear to you, the Yankees offense could never figure it out. Um, But I remember going in the backyard, like throwing with my dad and I'd be like, all right, I'm going to try to throw a knuckleball. And like, that's just like, that's what he was and it was it's just it's uh god it's awful news it's just terrible way to end this exciting fun season and it was very clear that the baseball world was just devastated by it all just awful awful news and you know every as you said by all accounts an incredible person i mean that's what really stood out to me is that you know, we see these things happen, unfortunately, and there's so many different ways for the news to be led. There's so many different things to the people who work close to those individuals who pass away to say first. And everyone always says glowing things as they should. But, I mean, I learned he was a Roberto Clemente Award winner, which I simply had not come across previously. I knew about his involvement with the Jimmy Fund, which is what the Red Sox do for cancer and cancer patients and research. So just seeing how devastated Alex Cora and everyone who knew him was really struck a chord with me. And as you said, you know, you I thought that we should talk about him also because this is a player who we grew up watching. As you alluded to, I mean, 
you know, we recently lost Brooks Robinson, and I am getting texts from my father about how incredible he was, and I know from researching how incredible he was, but to lose a player who we, as young people, saw really does stand out and is so, so sad, but, you know, I grew up a Mets fan, so... I, as a Mets fan and a school of Yankee fans, had a soft spot for the Red Sox. So I loved him because of his pitching against the Yankees and everything else. And I mean, I think I learned what knuckleball was because of him. Because I'd be watching games, they would talk about it, I would ask about it. And of course, there were other pitchers at the time and after who threw one, but he was kind of the crystallizing knuckleballer of a generation. So just awful, awful news. Very sad and very sad to see that news on the last day of the season when it's such an emotional day as it is. And I just felt so badly for everyone in baseball who didn't know him and was already dealing with so many emotions. They come with that final Sunday or final day and then adding something completely unfathomable on top of that. Well, with the emotions from the final day, I think it even hit more for Guardians manager, soon to be former manager, that'll sound weird, uh, Terry Francona, because it was his final game. And um, he was Tim Wakefield's manager in Boston. And uh, he found out about 30 minutes before he went out to the field for his own final game. And there was already a lot of emotion in that. He ch- he tried to p- play it off as if he didn't really feel anything, but he started to tell more stories and realized that some things were starting to hit him a little bit more. And it was clear that this was all starting to set in. Um, and then to hear those those words of Wakefield has passed right before it was just, he said that every time he would start to feel any positive emotion, happiness, anything about the day of trying to wrap up his own career, it just sort of halted because then he was reminded of what just happened earlier in the day and it just made him sick to his stomach. Um, He talked post-game just about how incredible of a person he was, Wakefield was, and how he just really couldn't find the right words because there weren't the right words to say. There just, there wasn't anything out there that he could say to make any of this any better. And he just said that he, it was a gut punch. And um, I think if you talk to anyone who was close, even remotely close to the Wakefield family in general, it just seems like that's the general consensus. So it is definitely important to make sure that we discuss this right off the top. It's just awful how this all happened and um, just all the thoughts going out to his family, of course. Um, But I guess we can somehow painfully transition out of that. I guess as long as we're talking about Francona, sort of brings us to the topic of all the people who had to say goodbye to the game on Sunday. Um, It was, my gosh... I mean, you talk about the news, that was emotional, and then you add the emotional goodbyes. It was just a hot mess of a day for baseball, it seemed like. Um, But you have uh, 
all the Wainwright stuff. You had the uh, Miguel Cabrera stuff. You had, I saw the video that Annie Rogers, our Royals writer, posted of Zach Greinke getting his curtain call. Like, it was just, it was one after another. And uh, what was it like for you? Because I know you're monitoring all of these at one time always. So what was it like for you to bounce back and forth? Because every game was on at the same time. I know, it's a big day for the multiple screens, but to take out both the iPads, big day for all that. Yeah, just so much motion. Obviously, as you said, we had Wainwright and Maggie, who we knew were saying goodbye. Then there was that great game, Brandon Crawford, where we don't know if it's goodbye, but we know that at the very least it may be goodbye to a fan base that has meant a lot to them and that they have meant a lot to. Uh, for me, the most emotional one was Brandon Crawford, just because of my family, my mother, my grandmother, and how much the Giants have meant to them and to me as a result. Um, so even though the Rangers game and the uh, Astros Max game had the most um, riding on them mm-hmm. yesterday, my game with sound was Brandon Crawford. Just see her cook and kite one last time for the season and to see how that all went. And I mean, Brandon Crawford, I know didn't have a great year this year, but you know, you go back to 2021 and everyone talks about Buster Posey having that incredible final season. Brandon Crawford also had his best OPS ever. He had a resurgence season in his 30s, and that was part of what brought them to all of those wins, 100-plus. And he has been, I mean, I read this story from Grant Brisby on The Athletic last night. It was great. I was sitting right here where I am now talking to him. It's like 12.45 in the morning, and I see Grant share his story. And Grant is a great writer. He's a Giants fan who still covers the team in a way that he just has a humor and an approach that is really, really incredible. And I knew he would write about Brandon Crawford, and I knew it would be good, and I read it, and I just completely lost the crime because if you don't know the full story of Brandon Crawford, you know, every single player to make the majors, they're living a dream, right? They made him. There are only 700-plus guys active at any given time. We see the lowly World Series, the College World Series, and unfortunately, so many of those kids don't make it. So even making it is, of course, an incredible achievement. But Brandon Crawford grew up a Giants fan in the Bay Area, and I remember so vividly in 2012, when they made it to the World Series, I believe during the postseason, this story came out where they had found this old photo of him on the cover of the sports section in the San Francisco Chronicle in 1992. In 1992, before the Rays existed, the Giants were going to move to Tampa Bay. They had signed the paperwork. It was ready to go San Francisco Giants, Willie Mays, Willie McCovey, 
why Marshall were going to become the Tampa Bay Giants. And Brandon Crawford went to the game with his family with the supposed believed final home game in San Francisco. And he had a sign that said, Mr. White, do what's right, keep the Giants in SF. Uh, that was to the owner at the time. And it's this little five-year-old kid with the saddest look on his face at the camera. And I remember articles being written about this photo. And the fact that that kid was starting a shortstop for the Giants in a World Series game. The fact that he made it, not just to the big leagues, but with the team that he grew up rooting for, and not just the team he grew up rooting for, but I loved how Grant sort of explained this, that if anyone understands how improbable it was for him to be standing there on Sunday bidding a thank you to the San Francisco crowd, is Brian Crawford, who was five years old and being told, hey buddy, your favorite team isn't going to be here next year. So it's the added part of not just growing up a Yankees fan or a Mets fan or another team and knowing that your team would be there. He thought this team would be gone. They weren't. He grows up, he plays, he plays college baseball, which even that is not a guarantee. Plenty of little little leaders don't even make it that far. He plays at UCLA and gets drafted in the fourth round. And even still, there was another shortstop drafted three picks ahead of him by the Pirates, Shea Sarno, Travis's brother. So if the Pirates scouts had been a little more attentive to the tools that Brandon Crawford had, then he would have been on the other side in 2014 in the wildcard game. Uh, no, excuse me. And, um, yeah, 2014 in the wildcard game. When he hit a grand slam against the Pirates in that game. So just every little thing comes together to the point where not everyone gets to play Major League Baseball and even fewer guys get to do it for the team they grew up rooting for and really truly ruining for so we'll see what happens he could sign elsewhere he could sign who knows but it's so hard to imagine him on any other team so it was just a very emotional day to see that and again i remember when he came up he had a grand slam in his first game. I remember talking to my grandmother about that. I remember seeing him in spring training with her and with my mother. So just a really, really emotional day for our Giants fans and the people who love them. I think my personal experience over the weekend with these, I just sort of have to go to Miguel Cabrera just because the Guardians ended their season and. Detroit and I was lucky enough to be able to watch the three days of a Miggy celebration. Each night they celebrated a different aspect of him and um, it was just, it was truly well done. Um, and that last game was just unbelievable. The things that they did, they had his parents throw out the first pitches, which was so fun. Um, they had, when he, when he came up to bat the first time, he, uh, 
I don't know if he knew that it was going to be happening, but he came up to bat the first time and his kids were the ones who announced his name on the PA system. So, so cool. Um, and he had a, he was walked in his final plate appearance and the place went crazy in booze uh, <laughs> because they did not want to see that very anticlimactic finish to this legendary career, but... He had plenty of doubles in the first two games. I think he had three. So, it, you know, he, he he stayed on brand at least for the for two of those three games. Um, but then they sent him back out to the field so that he could play first base for a batter, I guess, was the plan. And in that one batter, the ball went to him, which was awesome. And it, he fielded it. The way that he fielded it, he was so pumped. Um, it was so funny to see him so animated uh, on the field, even before he recorded the out. Um, and it was Stephen Kwan for the Guardians. And so Kwan has some speed, and it was a closer play than maybe it should have been. Uh, almost a collision at first base. <laughs> Big Miggy and very tiny Stephen Kwan are coming at the bag at the same time. I don't think that would have ended in Kwan's favor, but they were able to avoid that collision. Um and Miguel Cabrera comes running off into foul territory. His arms are wide open. It was just so funny, so perfect. Um, and in that moment, A.J. Hinch comes out of the dugout with Miggy's kids. And, oh, my gosh, the place. It was just impossible not to have goosebumps. I mean, you're sitting there, of course, as an impartial person watching this. But as a fan of the game, it was just like this ending. It's unbelievable. Um they were just, it was just so incredibly well done. They stopped everything. There was only one out in the inning and they stopped play. Sort of reminded me of um, how they stopped play when uh, for LeBron this past year. I remember when they stopped play for LeBron to hug every person it seemed like in the arena. Um, and so it sort of was the same thing for Miguel Cabrera. Like they stopped play with one out in the inning and he hugged everyone on the field. He hugged everyone in the dugout. And then all of a sudden you see the whole bullpen emptying. And no, it wasn't for a benches clearing brawl. It's the first time I've ever seen anyone come charging in from the bullpen without that being the case. They <laughs> hustled down to make sure they all got a hug before he got back to the dugout. It was a really cool moment. It was neat for Francona also just to watch that as he's in the other dugout. But to see him standing up during that moment clapping for Miggy, um, He's seen plenty of Miggy over the years in his in his eleven year tenure with the Guardians, and um, well, Cleveland's very happy to not have to be pitching to him ever again because goodness, he's done a number to not just the Guardians but to everyone in baseball, um, and it was just such a beautiful uh, ending to such a legendary career and you just forget about how long that career has been until you're sitting there and between each inning they have someone different coming up on the big screen to give a message to Miggy and you're seeing Albert Pujols, Derek Jeter, you're seeing guys who you feel like have been out of the game for a little bit now um, and it's like no this guy was still playing against all of them um, and it's really just like, geez, how did he do it this well for this long? And he did. And it was really just an awesome ending to all of his countless accomplishments. We'll make sure that we also talk about the one other ceremony that we only mentioned briefly at the beginning, and that's Adam Wainwright. And, I mean, it was just so perfect. Again, he got his 200th win. 
he said, all right, I'm not going to pitch again. So he goes out with a vintage outing, seven scoreless innings, getting his 200th one. And they did a whole ceremony for him before the game. One of the greatest parts of that was that Albert Pauls and Yanni Molina came and surprised him. He didn't know they would be there. And he looked so emotional when they showed up. And I just love that. I mean, there's so much between the three of them. And we really celebrated, you know, the others last year in different ways. But having them together was really, really important. And of course, I mean, even though it didn't happen this year, I mean, all of last year we were going through most starts by a duo, uh, a battery with Yadi and Wainwright. So just so great to see this entire adorable family. And I'll even say something I was going to say for the end, which is that it was kind of a known thing that he had told his family, he had told his daughters, when he retires, they can get a puppy. <laughs> so the Cardinals got him that puppy. And his wife comes out with a little basket and opens it, and there is the puppy whose name I believe is Louie. I guess first name Louis. I just realized I read it was <laughs> Louie. And I was like, oh, interesting. I wonder if it's a family name. And then when I said it out loud, I realized it was just so adorable and such a thing. For anyone who has followed that family, I remember hearing about that. The whole thing where the kids want a dog, and he said, when I'm done, we can do that. And then, of course, he got an infant on Friday, which was so much fun. I love that. And then he got another one yesterday. So Yadi, as I mentioned, was there. And one of his brothers, Benji, does the Spanish-language radio broadcast for the Cardinals. So Yadi was up there with him and made a totally makeshift sign. Like, not even trying to see makeshift. Not like, oh, the Cardinals gave it to him and said, pretend this is, you know, whatever. It was literally the back of a box <laughs> in Sharpie and said, I want to see Wayne him And he gets another event. And it's just, I mean, it's the perfect way to see a guy like that go out in a way. And I'm so glad he got to do that. Got to tip his cap again. And just an outstanding moment to see and what a career he has had. So it's always so emotional on the last day of the season. I feel like every year I forget about this. And it does feel like this year, more than others in the past, we had a lot all at once. So there was a lot going on, a lot of tears to shed. Yeah, it was definitely the most emotional day in baseball that I can remember for a while, just because there was just so much at one time. Um, and I'm, goodness, it, it was a good ending in some ways for so many guys. It was brutal news when we heard about Tim Wakefield. It was just so much to swallow all at once, so... Uh, moving forward with that and going into the postseason, it'll be nice to close the chapter on so many of those things and then just start brand new with so many exciting things coming up. I cannot wait for the postseason to get underway. Um, 
I like the bracket that we have set up right now. It's a little bit different, although there's some things that inevitably seem to be the case every single year, and we'll get into that. But uh, it's a it's a it's a different mix of teams. I think it's fun. It's exciting, and we can get into all of it, and we can give our predictions and all the things coming up when we come back. Okay, picture this: it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast. I'm Mandy, that's Sarah, and we are going to get into a little bit of the postseason here. Uh, We're recording on Monday, so the day that's a little bit quiet for baseball, although it does seem like some news is still coming out, and uh, there's some workouts going on across the country in preparation for tomorrow, Tuesday's beginning of the Wild Card Series. This is going to be another couple days of chaos because it's so jam-packed um it's right after the season ends no one really has a chance to catch your breath yet and all of a sudden everything the intensity gets amplified by eight trillion um and so i guess we can just sort of go around the board one and we can give our predictions for each series but i think first i just want to say like i'm i'm shocked at how it all sort of shook out because it just seemed like the Blue Jays one were gonna just lock up that um, wild card spot right underneath the what is it the fifth seed uh, like right underneath the Rays. Um, it just seemed like that was going to be set in stone. And if the Rangers could have just won two of those four games in their final series in Seattle, they would have been able to take the division and have a nice breather before you could have to get into the your postseason having the bye before the ALDS, not worry about the wild card series. But instead, uh, poor Kennedy Landry, our Texas writer, had to figure out how to be in Tampa this morning after being in Seattle yesterday. So she had a last minute red eye to Tampa Bay from Seattle because she was sort of expecting to just go home for a couple of days and nope, you're going across the country. So, uh, hectic for everyone involved, I'm sure. But I was, I couldn't believe how everything sort of played out. The Astros needed to win all three of those last games. The Rangers needed to lose three of four. Um, and then the Blue Jays ended up losing two of those three. It was just insane how everything played out. And it now just seems at this point that the Astros are inevitable in a way where they, no matter what, somehow, even if they were all counting them out, somehow win the AL West. I mean, there was a really funny video that the Astros shared last night from their celebration for winning the division. And it's Alex Bregman in the middle of the group. And he says, you know, all right, quiet down, everybody. He's like, everybody was saying, what's going to happen if the Astros don't win the ALS? And he goes, guess we'll never know. And then pops the champagne ball. 
And I don't know why, but it was just the most perfect thing. And it does feel that inevitability that you said. Um, that even all year it felt like they'll probably find a way to win the division. And, you know, I had my note ready to go. My man Bruce Bochy brought a third team to a division title. So I've got plenty of chances to do so in the future. But I did think that Bregman video was really fun. And props to the Astros getting it done, getting that by. I mean, even though we had the field clinch entering Sunday, we just didn't know all the seating. I did think it was crazy that the Astros could either get a bye and win the division or end up in a wildcard series entering the final day. And the same for the Rangers. I mean, that is quite a swing. You know, on the other side, we had, okay, are the Marlins going to play in the Phillies or Brewers? Are the Dimax going to play at the Phillies or Brewers? But... The ability on the final day to go between five days off or, okay, you're playing Tuesday is a really um, really cool thing to witness in real time. Well, I mean, we're focusing so much on the AL, so let's just start there. We can start with the, uh, the Blue Jays, who are the sixth seed, going against the Twins, who are the three seed because they won the AL Central. Um, you have three wild card teams, and then whoever has the lowest record of the three division winners has to play in the wild card series. The other two get buys, and so that is the Twins. And I think this series might be the most evenly matched of all of the ones. I don't know. It just seems like they really line up they have the same type of makeup really elite pitching they need to rely on individual bats and make sure those bats actually show up and um those bats have been hit or miss and so it just seems like these guys could be really toe-to-toe and the twins i think doe just had a great story uh get posted today on the off day about Four fans who have been at all of these lost postseason games. I don't remember the number that he had. It was it's six thousand and some odd days since their last postseason game win, um, and and so it's just like there's a lot there for Twins fans who are just dying for something to hold on to and tired of like the excitement during the year and then it quickly crashes right afterwards. So um, there's a lot of things involved in this series. And I, before I give any more, Sarah, do you have anything weighing in on what you think of this matchup? Well, you said, of course, exactly what I was going to say. I love when that happens. I was going to say we do have to acknowledge the streak longest in postseason history and not to say that other past games and series were not winnable but this does feel really evenly matched and even if you take out kind of intangibles like it shouldn't have mattered that they faced the Yankees recently and those felt unwinnable despite even what the teams had done during the regular season like that isn't a real thing but even if we acknowledge it, this just feels 
take away any past history. Don't look at what these teams have done in prior and postseason. You just look at these two teams, and I say, oh my gosh, I can't wait for all these games to go to extra scoreless, like you saw last year, you know, or you saw what 1-1 headed to uh, extras. But I think the pitching is going to be the big talk here. I think it's really cool for the Twins to make it to the postseason after the trade with the Marlins and for both teams to be here. We'll get into that, but they went out, they got Pablo Lopez. He has been huge for them, and obviously he and Sonny Gray. And then you have Kevin Gossman and Chris Bassett. Just a really, really cool um set of mashups here. I know Vlad Jr. didn't have the season the Blue Jays fans might have wanted. I wonder if that changes over these next three days. I think that'd be a really cool time to see him really get on a roll. And I agree this feels like the most evenly matched series. I think I'll go with the Blue Jays in three. Um, I think that the Twins will get that win, but I don't think that they're going to advance, maybe. I don't know. I think it's going to be really tough. I also think that as soon as we all think the pitching's going to be what everyone talks about, then all of a sudden it's like in the second inning and the game is 8-7. to seven. And I, I don't know why that always seems to happen. So I'm curious if it will truly stick to what everyone's expecting and it is that scoreless tie or 1-1 one to one going into the 8th or whatever it might be, but... Um, I think I'm going Blue Jays in three, but goodness, it really could shake out anyway. I promise I won't just go devil's advocate for everyone, but in this case, I'll pick the Twins because who knows how many people are picking the Twins. People should not be afraid of non-existent ghosts, and I could totally see it with Correa, who, again, may not have had the season here, Twins fans, might have wanted to see, but we know how clutch he can be in the postseason. I can't wait for him to do something uh, and do kind of like the damn time pointing to the watch on his wrist again. He is such a dynamic player. So I'll go Twins. Let's go Rocco. All right, we'll go to Texas Tampa Bay. We sort of just talked about that. Um, for me, maybe I won't go into as many details here so we don't keep everybody for 14 hours. But um, Texas, for me, uh, I just saw them recently with the Guardians, and it's just crazy how the last few weeks of this season they just seemed like two different teams in spurts. There was, team, there was times where they f just looked like they were completely running out of gas, and it, to me, was looking like when they were in Cleveland, I'm thinking, uh-oh. They're going to be able to hold on to this thing. And then all of a sudden they started to go on a win streak and they started to play really, really well. And I'm thinking, okay, this is not the team that I just saw. And here they go. And now they're sitting atop the division. They look great. And then we saw how they finished. And then they went back to quiet and struggling to win and they couldn't hang on to it. So it's hard to know which team's going to show up. It's hard to know if this day off, could they could just rejuvenate real quick. Um, the Rays have been... A really exciting, excellent team all season long. Um, they played the Blue Jays a lot, it seemed like, in the last 10 days of the season or so. Um, 
and you're playing against a team that's desperately trying to get into the postseason and you're trying to rest some of your starters and mix it up and they still were coming out on top pretty frequently so I don't know it just seems like this team is really set top to bottom I think I'm gonna go raise in this one I just I I just don't know what Rangers team will show up so I think my confidence leans more towards Tampa Bay so I'm of two minds here on the first side how could you possibly ever pick against playoff Randy we saw it in the World Series in 2020. We saw it in the WBC in March. But then on the other side, I think we may have forgotten how incredible Corey Seager was in, um, also in 2020 in the World Series and the entire postseason. So two playoff beasts, which is really, really cool. Ultimately, I am going to also pick the Rays because the Rangers, what has ailed them all year, is something that is usually very hard to overcome in the postseason, and that's their bullpen. They've had, you know, among the worst save percentages ever to make the postseason. And we've seen teams enter the postseason with a quote-unquote bad bullpen and change it in the postseason. We saw the Phillies find their way last year. We saw the Nationals, probably the best example in 2019, but the difference is, especially if you go back to the Nationals, those were teams that were able to rely on starting pitchers who were really, really good come out of the bullpen. That 2019 Nationals team became the first team in postseason history to have three guys who struck out 200 batters for them in the regular season ensure their Corbin and Strasburg come out of the bullpen for them in the postseason. The issue for the Rangers that I see is the combination of an iffy bullpen and very injured starting pitchers. Um, I don't know if Scherz has been officially ruled out for the postseason, but the report in the regular season seemed to imply it. John Gray just went on the injured list. They've been using Andrew Heaney both out of the bullpen and as a starter, so this doesn't feel like the type of team that's primed to put together that bullpen in another way in October. However, if there's any manager to make it work, it is the bullpen maestro, Bruce Bochy, but I almost think that these are two teams that are cut down and injured in almost similar ways with pitching. And the difference for the Rays is that they've already dealt with it. They have lost their top three starters this season in McClanahan, Spring, and Drew Rasmussen, and they figured out what to do next, so they're maybe more prepared for that entering October. All right, we'll flip over to the NL side, and I'll let you give your opinions first since I did my first. I did them first on uh, the AL side. We have Arizona and Milwaukee, and I will just say that Milwaukee was dealt a tough hand already going into the series because they just came out today 
Brandon Woodruff is not going to be able to participate in the wild card series. And if they would advance, it's I think they said that his availability is up in the air post uh, wild card series at this point. So they don't really know it's a shoulder injury. We know that the beginning of the season he was out for four months or so with a um, with, with shoulder inflammation. So does that change your opinion at all? And, and how do you see this series playing out? It does. You know, I saw that news right before we logged on to um, to record this, and I wonder if that's the entry point that the Dimex scene. I think the Dimex are really good. I know they arrived early. I know nobody was necessarily seeing them for the postseason this year as opposed to maybe next year. Their question is also going to be pitching because they're playing such meaningful games. Over the weekend, their game one starter is Brandon Fodd, who is not Zach Allen. And that is just a different spot to be in. And I think it will come down to whether their starting pitching can get to a spot where they can do this. But I love the idea of Corbin Carroll in the playoffs. I think they have a lot of guys who can be really, really dynamic. Gabriel Moreno, we have to talk about maybe in the offseason, about how good he was for them this season and how much of a game changer he has been. The acquisitions of Paul Seawald and Tommy Pham have been huge for them. So I love the way this team has been built. We'll see if they're able to. I also wonder, I mean, once they clinched the postseason, they were set. But they didn't look their best in that final series. And you know that there's so many different considerations at that point in the year. But I do wonder how that will affect everything. The Brewers, I think, are going to be a sneaky team that people are going to be picking to go further than others might expect, although I do think the wardrobe injury is a big deal. But having Corman Burns, having Freddie Peralta, Devin Williams, and they have guys in the bullpen, Abner Uribe and company, who I think the national audience didn't get to know yet. And I love when that happens when a team that isn't kind of you know, the biggest market team has a reliever who's been good all year, who I've seen on leaderboards, but maybe not everyone knows aware of. And then he comes out firing really, really good pitches in the 7th or 8th inning of a playoff game. And everyone is like, oh my gosh, who is this? Like, the Brewers are going to do that. So I don't like picking against Tori Lavello. He has done an amazing job with his team, but I do think I'm going to take the Brewers. I think I'm going to stick with the Brewers, too. I mean, you think about how tough it's going to be for them without Woodruff. It's going to be ridiculously difficult um, because when you are in such a compact time period, you have three games and you need to win at least two of them. It helps to have three really great starters. And if you're losing one of them, that's tough. And I understand that. But you also look at the big picture. And this team got here when he was only pitching in 11 games this year. And so you look at the big picture. And 
Um, out of 162, he was only truly impacting 11, and there's still this team that's at this point. I think that they'd be able to get around it. It's going to be much more difficult maybe uh, than what it could have been, but uh, I think I'm, I'm going to lean with that, especially with the way that the Diamondbacks sort of finished the year. I think, I don't know. I think all of that going into it together for me, um, it's not like they had some, you know, cakewalk of a finish there because they're sitting there playing the Astros who were fighting for a division and the Astros are... A lethal team when it gets to this time of the year so it's hard to compare really if they're struggling or what it might be but I think I'm going to lean Brewers as well um, just sort of seems like it's going that way but that brings us to our final matchup which is the Marlins which is the number five seed and the Phillies the number four seed what are you thinking for that all right so the first thing is there's a rule in my head Whenever someone who went to the school I went to, the University of Chicago, does something incredible in the sports world, I have to mention it, because if I don't, who will? Kim Ng went to the University of Chicago. She was a legendary softball player there, and now she's brought a team to the postseason. That was my first thought when they clinched was, hey, look, a Maroon did this. So very, very excited for this team. Love what Skip Schumacher has done in his first year. You listen to interviews, whether it's with Kim Ang or with the players, and you see the respect that he has garnered as this first-year manager and the way that he carries himself and how it trickles down to the team. That being said, this team made the postseason with the worst, lowest, however you want to say, run differential of any postseason team ever. They win a lot of one-run games. They hit more home runs lately with Jake Berger and the guy you might be familiar with, Josh Bell. But I'm not sure that their baseball is going to win them games in Philadelphia in October. I think the Phillies are a force to be reckoned with. I picked them on the podcast yesterday to win the World Series. I'm not trying to go with that moving forward. We'll see. Mm-hmm. I like to switch it up, you know, play the mm-hmm. odds. But I think they're better than last year. Their pitching is resting down the stretch last year. Zach Wheeler was gassed. They rested him a bit in September. They were able to run him in a position where he and Aaron Nola were in a really, really good spot. I love what the Phillies are doing. I love the Marlins. I love Josh Chisholm. I love Kimming. If I can say that about a person I've never met, I mean, I haven't met the others either, but I am taking the Phillies here. And, you know, to Marlins fans, at this point last year, everyone was picking against the Phillies. So you do truly never know. But I am going Phillies here. I agree that the Phillies are, as you said, a force to be reckoned with. But I'm not to play devil's advocate, but I am going to go with the Marlins. Just because it just... They're this never-say-die team. And it's I get the same vibes that I got from the Guardians last year. And I know the Guardians didn't get far. 
But it's like, no one thought that their style of play could make it. it. They didn't think that this one run style of play where you don't hit a ton of homers and you're scrappy, um, all the things, it just never makes sense. And you're this underdog team. I love to root for an underdog. It's always one of my favorite things. Um, they seem like an easy team to be on board with. It's There's just so many things that, for me, look at it like, why not? Like, I will say, it adds a lot to have this played in Philly because that is really, really a hard place to win for any team, especially a scrappy team that needs everything to go right for them. Um, so I do think that's working against me and my pick here, but I'm still going to stay with it and I'm going to say the Marlins because why not? They had the huge comeback, it seemed like, a couple days ago in the, fi- in the final games of the season. I know we're all sitting there scoreboard watching, and Zach Meisel, who writes for The Athletic, covers the Guardians, he's like, wait, the Marlins didn't come back, did they? Because he was watching to see if the Reds would win, and he was like, oh my gosh, and I just remember seeing comeback everywhere, comeback, 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 and it's just like... Why not? Why couldn't that headline be something in the postseason? And so, I don't know. I just think uh, I my gut tells me to go with them, so I'm going to stick with them. I like it. I also think, I also think we shouldn't be picking against a team whose manager is willing to go out there and move the um, tarp himself if he has to. <laughs> so I will say that. All right. We have all of our first rounds covered um hard to believe that we're already into postseason baseball but it's so exciting and so we're going to take a quick break right now we'll get into our favorite moments from the last week of the season and then we can finally enter playoff baseball this episode is brought to you by progressive insurance whether you love true crime or comedy celebrity interviews or news you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue and guess what Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast. I'm Mandy, that's Sarah. And joining us as always for our favorite segment is our favorite producer, Alana Schreiber. Alana, do you have your favorite moment from the past week? I do. I have um, two baseball-related holidays, but I'll be quick. Um, The first, of course, it was Yom Kippur, and everyone thinks about Sandy Koufax. And that night, I actually had a Goldtimate Frisbee game, not to be confused with Ultimate. It's the half-court version. But I, you know, I was fasting, so I texted my captain, hey, I can't make it tonight, I'm co-faxing. And he said, totally understand, see you next week. And I just love that co-faxing is a verb we can use for not playing my sport because it's Yom Kippur. Um, But my fun co-fax fact is actually, I learned that Sandy Koufax actually went to the University of Cincinnati to play basketball, 
but he found out that the baseball team was going to be doing a winter break trip to New Orleans. And he wanted to go to New Orleans, so he walked onto the baseball team, and that is kind of what launched his career. So you can say that my wonderful city of New Orleans is a little responsible for Sandy Koufax becoming Sandy Koufax. But my second baseball holiday is that of YED, otherwise known as a Yankee Elimination Day. So <laughs> growing up a Mets fan, my dad and two of his colleagues, Wayne and Elena, who are also big Mets fans, didn't really have a ton to celebrate at the end of the regular series. So or at the end of the regular season, um, so they always started to celebrate Yankee Elimination Day and they would get a cake that said Yed on it. And then they would go out to dinner um, at a restaurant that most represented whichever player on the opposing team facing the Yankees kicked them out of the playoffs. Um, so the year that it was Altuve, they all got Venezuelan food. The year it was Alex Bregman, they went to a Jewish deli. I'm pretty sure they went to Zabar's. So this year, Yed came early. It was thanks to the Diamondbacks, so they're all going to go get Southwest food. Um, I know that we don't like to kind of dog on other teams here, but... Yankees can take it. It's punching up, especially when you're a Mets fan and always in the shadow of the Yankees. So I think that it's a fun, delightful little holiday, and it gives the Mets fans something to celebrate at the end of the season. Oh, my gosh. That is amazing. Again, not in the spirit of how I approach the game these days, but I love that and I love any tradition. I was just going to say, that's hilarious. And I think it's so funny that um, you're able to like have this sort of family tradition type of thing. And I'm so glad that we're able to like learn about it because I've said it so many times. You're one of the most interesting people on the planet. And so the fact that you guys have celebrated this and I love how you just sort of brought it up. Like it was just this casual thing. It was so, I think that's hilarious. Um, and so I'm very <laughs> glad that we were able to learn about Yen. Manny, you grew up a Yankees fan, so I was nervous to tell you, but I'm glad that you can <laughs> respect and appreciate it. And no, it just, it comes from a place of just being the little guy. All right, Sarah, do you want to give yours? I do. I'm still trying to decide what to go with. I think I have to go with the emotion and the reactions from Brandon Crawford's children on that final day. So I know I talked about this earlier, but his four children each had the first pitch and his youngest daughter, for now, another daughter is Susan, Jaden, did a like backflip in terms. And uh, if you don't know, Crawford's wife, Jalen, uh, was a gymnast at UCLA. It's a very athletic family. Everyone was doing and eyeing at that. And each kid threw a great pitch, which was really cool to see. But post-game, when Crawford addressed the crowd, which he did very briefly, but he stood there and talked and then signed a bunch of baseballs and threw them into the crowd, his oldest daughter, and all of them, to an extent, daughters and sons, they were crying. And I just thought, like, obviously I was sad to see that happening. But it was just such an encapsulation of how much it has meant to his entire family. 
for him to play for this team, for him to be a professional baseball player. And obviously, I'm not in the minds of these 10 and younger children, but I assume they were standing there thinking like, are we going to get to do this again? Are we going to stand on these fields again? And so it was just so poignant to me that in this moment when he could have cried, instead there was this image of him with all of his kids hugging him and him sort of stroking their hair and saying it's okay. And it's just, you know, we talk about all the time how these guys are people and they're fathers too. So even in the most emotional moment of his career, he is standing there comforting his children, telling them it'll be all right. And there was just something really incredible about that moment. I was just tearing up seeing these kids so sad. When in reality, if he does retire, they get even more time with him, which is great. But I just thought, uh, I went back and I found <coughs> that in 2010, the first year I went to spring training with my mom and my grandma, he was in spring training with the Giants his second year spending time in Bailey camp. He debuted the following year wearing number 79 in spring training. His big league number would be 35. And I found these photos that I had taken of this skinny kid. I mean, I know he went to college, so he was a bit older, but the skinny guy, you know, standing there without the signature hair or any of that. And for him to, over the course of his career, not just grow into the greatest shortstop in franchise history and the most prolific, but also to turn into this incredible father. I just thought, you know, this is why baseball is so incredible. I'm going to go with like another goodbye moment as well. And I obviously have to go with Tito. It's just, I know I sort of (laughs) talked about this last week too, but just everything that's happened since we talked last week was insane. It was a whirlwind. Um, his final home game is the coolest thing of all time. And it was amazing to be able to have been there. Um, I think individually, if I'm picking an individual moment from that day, that was the best was he hates the spotlight. Um, he's very uncomfortable with all of this, which is partly why he never said anything about his plans to call it quits at the end of this season. And and during the video tribute pregame to him, he was uncomfortable, expressionless on his face. So it's just, it, it's not his thing. My favorite was they won. So it was at least able to be celebrated a little bit better. And he came out on the field for the handshake line. All the guys hugged him in, as they went through the handshake line instead of just giving him a high five. And then afterwards, he was walking into the dugout and Jose Ramirez was standing on the top step with the rest of the team behind him. And Jose just sort of like waved his hand at him, like, no, get back out there onto the field. You're not coming down these steps. And Tito's looking at him like, why, what are we doing? And so Tito comes back out. He gives one more like tip of the cap to the crowd, giving him this loud ovation. 
and then the team just sort of blocks like a barricade blocks the exit so he has to sit out there even longer taking all this praise because everyone else knows it's well deserved even if he doesn't want it or doesn't feel like he deserves it everyone else is looking at it like no 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 you need this moment um and so it was funny then Jimenez was the one Andres Jimenez was the one who was really blocking it and he and Cal Quantrill started chanting Tito right with the crowd and they were jumping on him and Tito's waving at everyone like please stop let me go in and it was just it was a wholesome moment it was a great moment um and so it was it, that one in itself was fantastic and the part two of it was the biggest thing that we're going to miss individually as media um, is the fact that he gives us countless hilarious stories that we're able to write about. Um, he's as entertaining as they come. And he gave us one last one before he retired, which was fantastic. And the fact that his scooter was stolen, he always drives home on a scooter from the ballpark to his apartment that's just like two blocks away. Um, it's been stolen multiple times, always returned to him in decent enough condition to continue riding it. This time it was beyond repair. It was beaten with a baseball bat and I'm sorry to go into detail, but defecated on. And, um, it was a, yeah, it was not great. And so he had to lay it to rest. He mourned for a few days. He said, um, it was still under a blanket in the clubhouse, um, and he just continued to joke about it. But he's been riding another scooter, which the way he described it, it sounded like one of those bird scooters that are just on the sidewalks um, that you're able to use as like public transportation in a way. Um, it's not like an actual moped <laughs> that you're sitting on. And he is not good at driving those. It is not safe for him. It is not great. He saw a group of people walking towards him as he was riding on the scooter with his dinner and he was almost back to his apartment. So he tried to move out of the way of the group of people because he was in an area that was mostly sidewalk. He's like, I'm the one who doesn't belong. Well, he went over cobblestone and one of the little stones was missing and he didn't realize it. And he went flipping over the handlebars and he hit hard and he was like, it was not great. And all of a sudden he hears someone coming up to him yelling, coach, coach. And he's like, no, that's not me. That's not me. I'm not him. And he was trying to play it off like he wasn't Terry Francona, but he was like, all right, I'm in too deep now. I obviously know this guy knows me. And the guy comes running up to him and is like, are you all right? Are you good? And Tito said, just check if my dinner's okay. And so he was all worried about making sure that his dinner was fine. He said his one flip-flop was thrown to the right, the other one over to the left. It was so bad. Um, he said he scraped up his dinner off the ground and headed up to his room and continued to eat it, of course. But I, it's funny. He just, he has a way of telling stories. He's hilarious. Um, the way that he said that the only thing he worried about was if, if his dinner survived the wreck, um, even though he was, um, had bumps and bruises from it all. But it's just a representation of the humor and the levity that he brings to a room in as serious of moments as it could be in World Series games and whatever it might be. It's just the biggest void that he's going to leave in baseball. And I'm eternally grateful that I got to hear so many of those stories in five seasons. And I'm so glad he gave us one more before he left. If you ever had a scooter as a kid, you know the first rule is you're not allowed to ride it with flip-flops on. I mean, what are you <laughs> doing? I was never allowed to do that. You had to wear full shoes that were on your feet if you were riding in the scooter. So that is my takeaway, but no. 
I'm going to let him know what you said. I'm going to let him know that you said that he should have known from the beginning that flip-flops were the dumbest decision. All right. Well, on that note, that'll do it for this week's podcast. Don't miss an episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're enjoying the show or you have any suggestions for us at all, please leave us a rating and a review. Thank you, as always, for listening to the Ballpark Conventions podcast, and we'll see you next week.